Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts dedicated to season one of Loki. And this one is a bit special, folks. It is the last, in fact, of our spoiler special podcasts. And this one is an in depth matter with none other than the god of mischief, Prince of Jotunheim, Odin's son, old Loki Laufison himself, Tom Hiddleston. Tom was gracious enough to take time out of his busy schedule. He's just wrapped on Cleo Barnard's The Essex Serpent and is presumably already getting his mind back into scheming mode for season two of Loki to talk to me via Zoom just after I had seen the season finale. I had tons of questions, many of them focused on that episode and all its developments, as you might imagine, but we tried our best to do a whistle-stop tour of key moments from the other episodes too. And as always, Tom was an engaging and thoughtful interviewee. Our door is always open. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on this very, very special Loki spoiler special by the god of mischief himself, Mr. Tom Hiddleston. How are you, sir? I'm very well, Chris. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I like that we're not, you know, we're pretending that we haven't just talked for half an hour for the magazine. This is, this is good. <laughs> yeah. Don't pull back the curtain too much, right? Uh, well, I think I can, I can pull, well, I can pull back the, all the curtain all the way. <laughs> no, I can never do that. It actually feels really unusual. This whole conversation feels really unusual because I'm so used to talking to you is that, and I take great pleasure from talking to you, but quite often I'm not allowed, not allowed to lay all my cards on the table. Uh-huh. And so I have to speak elliptically about lots of things, hoping that they will still be true on the other side. But now I can just tell you everything. <laughs> well, let's see how it goes. But uh, yeah, let's pull back the curtain as, as, as far as we possibly can, which must be a yeah. huge huge relief to you. It's a huge relief to me, so it must be a huge relief to you. And the thing I wanted to start off with, Tom, is the the very end of the show. We all thought, I thought, and I've said on the podcast before, that I hoped this wouldn't be your swan song as Loki, but we assumed this might be a one-and-done situation for the show. Turns out, of course, not only do you leave this on a massive cliffhanger, but you also yeah. reveal with that very, very clever little post credit sting that season two is coming. That's a rug pull worthy of the god of mischief himself. Yes. But was, it, was it fairly late in the day, I, I guess? That that, that 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 was our ending. Yeah. I, I mean, when I read it for the first time, because I, I suppose the thing I was really focusing on as we, as we, um, as we ran towards the finish line was was threading the needle of, or sticking the landing of, of the disagreement between Loki and Sylvie that's extremely high stakes. The stakes couldn't be higher. As Loki says, the universe is in the balance. Mm-hmm. Um, everything we know to be true. I know the TVA has hurt us both, but uh, everything we know to be true could be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And he who remains and his argument about the nature of Time, the universe, the multiverse, what he believes the TVA is protecting, even though he acknowledges that its methods are morally ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And as we as we were hurtling towards the finish line and then realizing how it was going to end and, and Loki being trapped once again in the TVA, awakening to a new determination, running to find Mobius perhaps his first true friend to explain 
what had happened and what he had done and what he feels he has unleashed, only to find that Mobius doesn't recognize him or know who he is. Mm -hmm. B-15 doesn't know who he is. And he turns to face the statues of the timekeepers, only to see that it is not, in fact, that the timekeepers aren't there. It's a statue of none other than Kang the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, yes, true, true to form, um, Loki, Loki the show, Loki the character, unpredictable, spontaneous, transgressive and disruptive. Uh, and I'm not sure Loki's happy about it. <laughs> he gets a taste of his own medicine. He does. He has had uh, the the ultimate rug pull. He has uh, he's been tricked. The trickster has been tricked. And uh, it's a it's a lovely way to set up. You know, to have people relishing what happens next in in series two. But uh, for you, when when whenever you got that first phone call from Louis Despacito a couple of years ago, was mm. this part of the grand plan? That you know, come back and do Loki, but we'll make it a uh, we'll make it multiple seasons or a couple of seasons, or did that evolve naturally over the the course of of shooting it? Again, like Loki, I think I'm uh, I'm always um, given en- <laughs> given enough to sort of I, I didn't I didn't I, if there was a trailer of breadcrumbs, I didn't get given enough to see this far, and uh, yes, I I would just thought, well, how do we make one? let alone two. It wasn't, as far as I'm aware, as far as I remember, we were trying to get one off the ground. Mm-hmm. And I think it was on the, on the way to, on the way to season, on, on the way to the end of season one, I think there was a realization that there was going to be a season two. Okay. I'm very excited. Because you, you couldn't have left people like that, Tom. You couldn't have left Loki trapped in the TVA. That'd be like the end of Twin Peaks all those years ago with Agent Cooper trapped in, yeah, you know, in the in the parallel dimension. You, you couldn't have left that. You had, you had to come back. I, I, yeah, <laughs> if people, um, I have only because I'm only here because you know, as long as people think it's interesting to me to be here. So, um, just grateful to everybody. Grateful to Marvel Studios and and grateful to to Kevin and Kevin and Lou and. Victoria and Stephen and and grateful to the audience because I know that mm. you know the the engagement of the audience and and their affection for this character and for this world is is the only reason I'm still here. So, um, and I still think he's interesting. Yeah. So I so I'm not done. And uh, the, the the evolution in the character from where we pick up with him in episode one. Uh, where he is being thwarted by the bureaucracy of the TVA at every turn, to where he is in episode six, where he is willing to turn his back on everything that he thought he ever wanted in order to have the thing he actually realizes he wants, which is which is Sylvie. That's a huge, huge journey, huge arc for this character, and you know, obviously without giving too much away, and I'm sure there, you know, the conversations about series two are in the nascent stages, but. Where can he go? I mean, what, 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 are you, what, what are you excited to see him do next? Uh, excited to see if the change that he, that has begun or to be generated within him, that this, a, a genuine and authentic evolution mm. away from his solipsism and narcissism and self-centeredness and, and, um, 
defensiveness and solitude, this, this evolution towards thinking beyond himself, reinventing meaning, the glorious purpose that he believed in so fervently has been revealed to be empty. Mm. There is nothing there. Mm. There is no glory. There is no purpose. And, and so for him, because I think he's an intelligent and, and curious being, I think his curiosity is, um, is uh, he's almost free. He's free from himself. Mm. But whether or not anyone else allows him that freedom is curious. You know, any character can change, but that change is only real if it's accepted and acknowledged and understood and seen by others. Mm. If they keep ascribing the characteristics to you that they're used to seeing, mm-hmm. how can you, you know, how can you change? Um, and it's a very human thing, I think. You know, it's, it's, um, change is only possible if people allow you to change. Mm. Which is, of course, what happens with Sylvie at the end, where uh, she suddenly doubts whether he is, is he's being true to his word and whether he, he has indeed changed. And that relationship, that is such a key relationship. And there's, there's several key moments in this. There's, there's Loki's speech to Sylvie. I felt what you feel. Don't ask me how I know. All I know is I don't want to hurt you. And then, of course, there is the, the kiss as well, which is such a huge moment. That speech took a long time to for us all we were we were very very not a long time we were just extremely specific about about what those words were mm. as we as we came up to to that scene because what is he trying to communicate to her i've been where you are i've felt what you feel it is about integration about in, about self acceptance and about um i don't know about him saying i've actually I've been through the experience of being consumed by a vengeful rage. He genuinely knows that, um, that fire in Sylvie, he's, he's, he's burned with the same fire and he's able to see her, but what he has learned, and maybe it's not her experience is that it only brought him pain. And so he's trying to protect her from the same fate. But whether or not that's his cho- his choice, or that maybe that's not up to him. Maybe it's up. Maybe Sylvie wants to determine her own her own course, and maybe it's not. You know, it's not for him to stand in her way. And these are the questions that we we try to raise all the way through the the show: is to what extent do any are any of us free to to choose our own path through life, and mm. or are we really, um, you know, are we kind of are we walking down a road that's been paved by someone else? Mm. And I love that people have engaged with these questions. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes in the whole show was in the cafeteria with Owen in episode two. And they're taking a break from trying to find the variant in, in, their, in, the, in the archives. And um, they have a conversation about the nature of existence. Yes. And whether any of us are free or, 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 or to what extent any of us are free. And if you start to question it, or un- try to untangle it, it all becomes too big. It's a bit almost the, the, the ideas and that become too big for your brain to wrap there, to wrap itself around. Um, mm. You know, the idea of, you know, I think Mobius questions 
the idea of frost giants, Odin, and of Asgard, a mystical realm among the stars, mm-hmm. um, three magic lizards. It's all, you know, if you, if you poke holes in something, it's all ridiculous. Yeah, everything's <laughs> um, ridiculous. Existence is chaos. Yeah. I love that. I love that the, and these are the, the, the big themes being explored. And, and I wonder if glorious purpose is the real key for you and for Michael and Kate and, and, and the Kevins. Um, because it seems to me that that seems to be one of the, the watchwords constantly. He's being reminded of glorious purpose. It seems to be evoked quite a lot. Um, mm. And he seems to be a person who doesn't really know what that is. And then when he finds out what it is, it might be too late. Was that, was that where you began in a way? Yes. I remember two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, just over, just over two years ago in the summer of 2019, going to meet Michael for the first time and Kevin Wright and spending a week with both of them. I spent about three days with Michael and his team of writers with Alyssa Karasik and Bishake Ali and Eric Martin, Tom Kaufman, Jess Dweck and Kevin Wright. And, and we talked through the pilot and then a sort of a, their vision of where the story would go after that. And then I must have had four or five breakfasts and brunches and lunches and dinners with Michael, where we just kept, we seemed to just keep talking principally about that first episode, about that first scene between Loki and Mobius and, and what it was and what the center of it was. And the most thrilling idea for me, which came from him was that there was a, a confrontation that Mobius offered Loki that had, was unprecedented for him. And it was, we, we had been gifted that uniquely by the structure of the Marvel movies before that, where the audience had more information than Loki did about the, the course of Loki's life. And what an extraordinary thing narratively to be able to do where you, where you can confront a character with information which would, which would give him a kind of crisis of the soul to take any character and show him or her or them their future and illuminate that that future ends in pain and suffering and death and ultimately loss would be is one thing but Mm -hmm. the fact that it's loki a character of such self-confidence and charisma and determination was such a genuinely thrilling, completely unusual, original idea, I thought. A character who has this self-fueled engine that drives him through the world, this glorious purpose, Mm. and for that purpose to be revealed as meaningless completely devoid of meaning and what an what a kind of crisis of the soul that would be How, and, and and with that insight where does he go next what does he do next who what choices does he have and i think because as in the words of classic loki that's what we do we survive mm-hmm. he's able to cling on to the fragments that that mobius offers him which is you know come and work come and help me find the variant and, and be part of the TVA. And so he, he uses his wits to survive, but he's still searching for meaning. There is no meaning. And so, but he can't go back because he says in episode one, I can't go back, can I? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't go back to make it right. 
so yes, it was a sort of challenge of um, the challenge of identity, and um, can he change? Can he grow? Can he evolve? If Mo, you know, Mobius presents him with the opportunity for insight, and what does he do with that insight? Does he use it to manipulate and gain the upper hand as he always has, or does he actually think more deeply about? what his purpose might be, what the reason for his existence might be. And, um, and that generated for all of us, I think, a really interesting conversation about these ideas, which I think you've explored and understood mm. in the podcast and, and in your features for the magazine about uh, self-awareness, self-acceptance and self-forgiveness. I know Michael has talked about it. You know, can we change? And even if we do, will others accept that we've changed um, or will they attribute our previous act? Will, will we always carry our previous actions and will those actions define us? You know, can we, can we change? Can we be redeemed? Um, all these are really kind of massive, profound questions about stories and the nature of being alive and to do it with this great character. Um, it's just a gift. It, I loved it. I loved every minute of doing it. Did anything, did anything change actually when, when Kate came on? Because Kate also seems to have a very specific connection to this character in, in many, many ways. And she's obviously such a huge fan of, of Loki. She wanted that. I remember that first meeting. I think we talked about it. She talked about um, the Daniel Kibblesmith mm -hmm. comic uh, of Loki, where there's a panel where he, he, which is echoed by Richard E. Grant's classic Loki, that we have but one part to play the god of outcasts mm. and that this was a story about the god of outcasts not just the god of mischief or the god of tricksters or or the god of chaos but the god of outcasts and i thought that was a really it showed kate's highly intelligent emotional read on on the character and also what audiences would find interesting about it Beyond that as well, there's also the idea of, of loneliness and of, of love and that connection between yeah. Sylvie and, and Loki as well, which is, which is so important. And it feels to me, we've, we've talked about it in the podcast, as, you, as you've heard, you know, the will they, won't they tension or will I, won't I, uh, I guess is perhaps more, more apt with Loki, uh, is, is resolved in the final episode but they it feels to me that they could never have finished the season together they have that that moment wow. of talking about the future in in episode five and there are little moments you know he who remains or miss minutes promises them a potential future together mm. in this final episode but it could never have happened in this series anyway they know miss minutes is 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 stalling for time is mm. is bargaining with them I'm really pleased that people have been people have been on to miss minutes for a while. <laughs> they don't they don't trust that clock. That uh, that talking clock is just too is all too weird. Yes. She's come, you know. And is it a two D thing or is it a three D thing? What's going on? Who, who knows? Who knows? It's all very strange. But um, yes, you know, I, I think as everyone who's been watching will be aware, this idea of this this duality of this axis of trust and betrayal has always been a part of Loki. Nobody ever trusts Loki. Thor never trusted Loki. Odin doesn't trust Loki. Um, or at least Thor learnt not to trust Loki. And 
Loki's isolated himself by this constant pattern of betrayal. And tension is brought to life in that Sylvie can't trust and Loki can't be trusted. I always thought at the end of episode five, the conversation between Loki and Sylvie, when, when Sylvie says, how do I know that in the final moment you won't betray me? Loki's response is sincere. Mm. That his, his insight born of his conversation and friendship with Mobius, you know, I, I think he says, I betrayed everyone who ever loved me. I betrayed my father, my brother, my home. I know what I did and I know why I did it. It's not who I am anymore. Um, and I do believe that's Loki's sincere attempt to understand that this is a, a wheel of repetition that he keeps, he keeps recycling and he's determined to break it. But he's confronted by this enormous challenge, which is this huge difference of opinion about whether he who remains is, is telling the truth. Mm. And I believe, I believe that he does want his motivation is, is that he wants Sylvie to be okay. He, and it's just, it's, to me, it's the most, that's such a genuine expression of concern. It isn't about possession. It isn't about desire. It's about wanting, understanding her fragility and not wanting her to go through the same horrors that perhaps he experienced. And that, you know, or this headlong falling into self-destruction that I think Loki has, has impelled himself towards. And if he believes he who remains, the idea that he who remains has actually been protecting the universe from something even worse, mm. that Loki's concern that Sylvie would not be okay in that other reality. Yeah. That maybe that maybe somehow this multiverse, this series of alternate universes is even worse for Sylvie. And Loki is concerned for her well-being. Mm. Is there a sense also he's worried that if she takes he who remains his place, that she might become corrupted in some way? I'm sure. Mm. Yeah. But he doesn't, I don't think he even at the end of episode six, I, do, I think the crucial thing that felt new for me mm. playing Loki was that he hasn't made up his mind yet. All he's asking is to take a moment to think about it, to stand back, detach from the emotional heat of the situation and actually think about it mm -hmm. and then determine the course of action. Yes. Rather than being driven towards something to, to a course of action, which you then could not undo, which yes. would have enormous consequences. And that felt like the new evolution. Loki is asking for time to think about his course of action because there are consequences. Loki's never thought about consequences before. He does what he wants. That felt completely new. There are consequences to what we do in this moment. Let's think about it. Mm -hmm. And Sylvie feels that even the request for permission to think about it is a betrayal. Yes. Yes. And then says, oh, this isn't even about thinking about it. You just want the throne. It's the same old, same old. You just want to, you know, he who remains is offering you, you know, a seat at the top of the TVA and that's all you ever wanted. You just want the throne. Mm. Once a Loki, always a Loki. Born to rule. <laughs> Which of course we know is not true. 
Yeah. I, I just want to talk very quickly about the uh, the the final moments, the, the kiss between Sylvie and Loki. Uh, was that hotly debated in terms of how you you would you would put a button on that relationship for now? Yes, because we wanted it to be about their connection as people, as opposed to anything explicit, more explicit than that. Mm. And it's also a distraction for Sylvie. I think maybe she already. If I recall, I think she, it's Sophia used to say she knows what she's going to do. She knows she knows that she's going to push him. She's going to. It's a sleight of hand. She takes mm-hmm. um, he who remains is very sophisticated, wrist tempered, and opens a time door and pushes him through it. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 it sort of works on many levels. It's a way of of I hope representing what our story is about, which is about acceptance and that this lonely character has dared to feel concern and care for another, but it's also the last betrayal. Watching him slash you in the final episode is really interesting because he's very muted. He, he looks like someone who is wrestling with a great deal. He's not the, there's not a, there's not a performative element to him in the, in the final episode. And they're always, usually always is uh, yeah. in, in previous episodes. Yes, I think it's probably maybe the experiences of the five episodes have broken down or broken through to something more authentic. And all those performative aspects are defenses of a kind to keep people at a distance. I think, I think his relationship with Mobius has changed him. I think his relationship with Sylvie has changed him. I think his relationship with classic Loki and kid Loki and boastful Loki and <laughs> yes, alligator Loki too <laughs> has changed him. You know, he's, I think he's in a very different place. The generosity of spirit and the fellowship and the friendship generated between him and Mobius is something that's, that's extremely new and the understanding that actually perhaps care for others might enhance his power yes. as evidenced yes. by classic Loki. Yes. Classic Loki makes a decision at the end of episode five to save Loki. How do you refer to Loki Loki in a podcast? The OG Loki Prime? I've yeah. called him Loki Prime, <laughs> our hero, just, you know, the Hiddleston Loki is sometimes how we call him, but you know, usually our hero, hero Loki is, is what we've, we've ended okay. up with. So classic Loki makes a decision to, to, sac- to, to save Loki and Sylvie from Eliath, and in so doing, enhances his power. And he loses, and then they, they lose him. Um, and then also his, his, um, his relationship with Sylvie and his simple and simply expressed desire for her to be okay is really new. Yeah. He doesn't want her to get hurt. And I think that's honest. Um, so yes, this more attentive, quieter Loki is probably someone who is who is in new territory. I did want to ask about he who remains. Uh, you yeah. obviously used the word Kang the Conqueror there, and that's, I think, how a lot of people will be referring to the character. Uh, and was that always the plan? Was it always a plan to introduce him, to have him be at the, the, the head of the TVA? 
we know he's going to be in the MCU going forward, played by Jonathan Majors. So was was it? How did that come about? Were they, was that was that through conversations with Kevin Feige, or was that something that Michael and and Kate were were talking about? As far as I'm aware, that was that was. Um, I can't remember when I first found out about it, but yes, um, the the end of the the end of episode six would introduce Kang, and. But I, I think episode six, in a way, he who remains isn't Kang. He is, mm-hmm. he is someone, Kang is, is the variant who had, doesn't have perhaps the, I don't know, he doesn't have the, I don't want to put words in Jonathan's mouth actually, but uh, <laughs> uh, the way it's presented by he who remains is that there is this other variant who's more dangerous that actually who remains is trying to keep a lid on. It's almost like a, like, trust me, like you, you may not like me, but you're going to, you really aren't going to like the other guy. I also just want to, uh, to publicly salute Jonathan Majors because he came into this, you know, on the last lap and blew us all away. He was absolutely dazzling because it's a huge scene. And to come, to make an introduction like that, and, you know, come onto the pitch and, and just score. It was just, it was just so, it was breathtaking to witness, it really was. He was so ready and so playful and had so much complexity already. It was re- I really loved working with him. We all did. Mm. We all had, we were all blown away. We just thought, wow, this is, this is a major new introduction in the MCU. Jonathan is here to stay. I'm not privy to any of the... <laughs> <laughs> the other information about about whatever else he's going to do, but but I just uh, from another one actor to another, I just was um, yes so impressed. Yes, he was he was fantastic, really unpredictable and funny and weird yeah. and offbeat, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to see what what happens next. Okay, so Tom, we have about five minutes left, so I'm going to do. Sure we don't have ten. Well, if we do have ten, let's see how let's see how we go. Let's see how we go. I wanted to want to throw some moments at you from previously uh, from previous episodes. Yes. And I love that uh, we get to see, we get to spend time with Loki. Loki has always been viewed through the prism of Thor. Uh, and even in this show, by and large, he's either with Mobius or he's with Sylvie. But yeah. we get these little moments, we get these little insights into Loki and Loki alone. One of them is at the end of this episode where you have that great reaction shot and you close your eyes and then suddenly you're reburdened with glorious purpose again. There is yeah. the time theater sequence in episode one watching. Yes. The future that will never be. Yes. Uh, and there's a moment as well in, uh, I think it's episode two, where Loki finds out what happened to Asgard. And we see that it hurts him privately. Mm-hmm. When he talks to Mobius later on, Mobius makes a, you know, uh, makes a comment about Asgard. Loki brushes it off. Can mm-hmm. you talk about that? I mean, the, the difference between the private Loki that we get to see in those moments and the public Loki that he projects to the world. It's, it's the thing I find most interesting about the job that I do, um, which is trying to inhabit the truth of those moments that we all have in our lives. The difference between our internal world and our external world. And that often people go through all sorts of things on their own or in private, which they don't feel able to externalize. And um, Underneath everything, underneath all the construction of our identities, is is a is a a vulnerability and a a softness. And I I loved exploring that aspect of Loki. 
I do believe that in those moments, those three moments, which I'm really honored that you've selected, he's honest and authentic and real. At least those, yes, those three, the, the moment in the time theater at the end of episode one, the moment in the archives um, when reading about Ragnarok mm-hmm. in episode two, and the moment at the end of episode six when he's trapped back in the TVA, back in the same, the same room, the time theater where he was um, confronted and interrogated by Mobius. Those are three moments where you see something truly emotionally authentic in Loki. And they were really important to me. And the, that first episode, the end of the first episode became something I became quite protective over in the, in the development of the show. Um, not that it needed, well, not that it needed my protection, but it, I was very careful about how we approached it. And, you know, this, it truly was an amazing team. And it's important to say this because so unusual it's so unusual to have a team Mm. in my experience that works with this level such a high level of coordination and respect and skill and it was just such an amazing team it was everyone's everyone had so much to give and i hope the sum is the sum of our work is greater than its individual parts but in i remember because we shot the time theater scene quite early on and it was when you know kate and i really became has had this sort of unconscious connection because we were the only people uh, who knew what was going on. And, and Kate was so generous because she understood how important it was to me to unravel Loki in that moment. Mm. And it was an extraordinary hour of, or two hours of, of filmmaking because it was a character I've played, character I've played for a long time watching himself going through things that he hasn't gone through, but that I have physically gone through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So it's a strange, it's a strange feeling of memory, memory and echo. So that's, it was just a really interesting scene. And were, you, were you watching those clips? Did they, did, did they play those no, clips live in the room? Okay. They did not. Um, I, 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 they were, they were playing only in my head. Um, knowing of course that we're in the, on the reverse angle, the clips would play on, you know, on the time stage, Mm -hmm. but I guess because of, um, we all wanted the, the lighting on his face to be playing in a certain way and to play the clips would have actually interfered with, with the light. So actually it was just me staring at at a wall and remembering the things all the things that I had done in sequence and in silence. But Kate knew, you know, and, and a lot of people knew in the room, but also I think um, it was only, it was so specific. And I had some ideas about what those scenes should be. There was always an idea that it should be, there should be, we should go back to Loki's connection with Frigga, played so beautifully by Rene Rousseau and that he should watch his own death at the hands of Thanos. Um, but the other sort of bit, I suggested that we should also see that scene. It was scenes in Ragnarok, you know, um, Odin's confession, I love you, my sons. And, and the end of Ragnarok where Thor says, if you, you know, the elevator scene, 
in Ragnarok and the end mm. of it. It was a thrilling thing to play and I was really grateful to be able to play it. But yes, all those three moments. You also correctly highlighted, like I, I, remember, I remember saying I improvised the bit in the cafeteria where after, the, after he's got very sad about Ragnarok and the destruction of Asgard in the archives on his own, uh-huh. goes to Mobius and he says, Ragnarok, are you familiar? And Mobius says, yes, the destruction of Asgard and all of its people must have been very painful, I imagine. And Loki says, yes, very sad. Anyway... <laughs> Because it's his defense. He can't, in that moment, reveal that he's vulnerable. Because to be vulnerable would mean he has to trust someone with it, and he's not ready to do that yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. The, the last thing is, I mean, there's the, in the conversation you have with, uh, Loki has with Sylvie in episode three, made quite a big splash when there was a, a throwaway comment almost, but uh, it contained a big nugget of information and, uh, you know, about Loki's sexuality. And... Kate's been on social media talking about how much that meant to her. Can you talk about that, where they came from? And and I believe you were also a a big driver behind that revelation. I always knew it was important and discussed it with Kate and Michael very early on. As uh, I think that Stanley used to say that, um, that the world of Marvel has to reflect the world outside your window. And understanding that, that um, it might help so many in the audience to feel seen and represented. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know it's hugely important to everyone at Marvel Studios all the way to the top that the, the breadth of identity in the real world is represented in, in the Marvel world in in the marvel studios world and we all wanted to find a way of of including it um in a way that felt meaningful um i hope it does there was a, a huge outpouring of support and relief yeah uh, as well which was which was lovely to see yes yes it was great well i'm, I'm really pl- i'm really pleased that i'm really pleased that um that people found it meaningful and um it was an interesting a really interesting scene because we Actually, all both Sophia and I knew it was significant, and it was part of a wider, a part of a long scene of both Loki and Sylvia opening up and mm. sharing vulnerability. Perhaps Loki more than Sylvie, mm-hmm. but it, it's it was an interesting moment to come towards because it's I hope quite subtle and um, uh, but also honest and true. Yeah, and afterwards we both thought. There we go. We looked at each other and thought, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It was a, a, very, a very important day of filming. And then the next day I woke up and, uh, and sang a song and, and danced. And <laughs> Tom, as ever, I have so much to talk to you about, but uh, I'm going, going to... Go on, I dare you. Keep I, going. I, I, I couldn't possibly, otherwise the, you know, the, the TVA themselves, I think, will come in and put a crook around my neck. <laughs> And drag me off, uh, but yeah, I, there, you know, from Alligator Loki to the Norwegian song, there's so much to talk about. But another time, sir, another time. But what I will say is this: as you know, you've listened to our our show, and you were you 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 you've been aware that we were suspecting, hoping that the show might end with Owen Wilson on a jet ski. That didn't happen. What chances of that happening in season two? 
I know, I know. It was, it's, uh, it's been, you know, what can I say? Somehow, somewhere, somewhen, we, we have to unite Owen Wilson with a jet ski. You know, if I have any power to influence the events of season two, that may be, that may be something um, that we have to, we have to do. Yeah, I'm sorry that you didn't get to see him. It's fine, Tom. It's fine. It's okay. I like to think that I like to think that somewhere it's already happened. <laughs> you know, um, and it's one of those beautiful moments that we can all imagine. And maybe our imaginations are stronger than anything that we could have depicted. Nicely done, Mr. Hiddleston. Nicely done. But that's you know, let's see what happens. I'm just I'm just throwing down the gauntlet for you guys and the writers for season two. Mobius on a jet ski and Loki on a jet ski. Anyway, the whole thing. Jet skis. I'm going to leave you with that. One word. Jet skis. Jet skis. Jet skis. Who knows? Uh, it's been a pleasure, as always. Tom Hiddleston, thank you so much for your time. Chris and uh, all those podcasters of uh, such lethal cunning, thank you for your precision, your curiosity, your extraordinary forensic and ever-expanding imagination. Massively grateful to you. And... Um, and deeply honoured as ever. It's been a pleasure, sir. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Take care. And that's that from Tom Hiddleston. And that is that from our Loki coverage on the spoiler specials. I hope you've enjoyed every minute. I know we have. If you want more Loki coverage and you want more T. Hiddles, then you can find him and Kate Heron and Michael Waldron and Richard E. Grant and Sophia Martino and more in the next issue of Empire, which goes on sale in around a fortnight, or is on sale now if you're listening to this a fortnight after I posted it, or a fortnight ago if you're listening to this a month after I posted it, or is no longer in sale if you're listening to this a couple of months after... Well, look, basically the point is it's available pretty much anytime as long as you have a tempad. And believe me, it's good stuff, folks. It is good stuff. Right, that is it for me. All that remains is for me to find that figgy port. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. See you next timeline. See you next sacred timeline. Bye. Bye.